Did you know that there are so many miles of stone fence in New England that they could circle the earth four times over? Welcome to the Lore of the South. Follow the show on social media to keep up with what's going on and to see pics that go along with each episode. Search for Laura of the South on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Welcome back to Laura of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. How the heck are y'all doing? What did y'all think about the last show? Did you like hearing from producer Mike? Should we have him on more? Let us know on social media or you can email the show at lauraofthesouth at gmail.com. Also, as a side note here, this is just an idea that I've been kicking around, have mentioned it to producer Mike, but I'd like to hear what y'all think about this. Our house is packed to the gills with people, pets, and stuff, so it's hard to find a quiet space to be able to record in, but I, slash we, had the thought of maybe purchasing a small shed that we could add soundproofing to and have electricity installed in it and we'd have a good place to record in like a lore of the south studios if you will um like if you noticed in the last episode how echoey it was that's because we were recording in the dining room and we don't have any soundproofing in there i mean it's a want not a need but lord it would be nice So, would any of y'all be willing to chuck a couple bucks towards a small studio space for Laura of the South? Maybe we can do something like, for everyone who donates up to or over a certain amount, you can get a name plaque on the studio wall, or we can send you a t-shirt. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but let me know what y'all think about the idea, and maybe we can get a GoFundMe going. And now for history-making news. This story comes to us from New Atlas. Scientists have cloned the scent receptors of Neanderthals and Denisovians. Denisovans. I always say that wrong. And it's always like between the two. Is it Denisovian or is it Denisovan? Anyway, to see if our hominin cousins could pick up on smells similar to what modern humans are sensitive to, The receptors were exposed to different smells and their responses recorded. Neanderthals scent receptors were less likely to pick up on sweet, spicy, mint, and floral smells. So they also seem not to be bothered by the smell of urine or sweat. So that was probably a bonus for them because everybody be stinky back then. The Denisovans seem to have a broader palate than the Neanderthals. They, too, weren't prone to pick up on floral smells, but were four times more sensitive to sulfuric-like smells, three times more sensitive to smells like vanilla, chocolate, and honey. The receptor cells really went off at the smell of honey, leading the scientists to believe that this was one of the Denisovans' favorite foods. The ability to pick up on certain smells in one's environment would increase their chances of survival, allowing them to literally sniff out their next meal. And now for today's topic. Welcome to episode 63, The Ancients. 
So as usual, there's going to be some controversial things in here. But like I always say, I try to tell history of a subject good, bad, and the ugly parts. And today's story is about the moon-eyed people of the Appalachians. There are several theories about where these people came from and how they were the first peoples of the Appalachians. Cherokee lore describes them as a slight people who were exceedingly pale-skinned, had pale hair and eyes. These moon-eyed people, as they were known, would only be seen at night and only on the cloudiest of days. It was said that even the light from the full moon was too bright for them. The moon-eyed people always lived near water and many lived in caves that ran deep underground where others were said to live in round stone log windowless huts that were low to the ground. The old Cherokee legend says that the moon-eyed people were in the Blue Ridge Mountains long before the Cherokee arrived and for a time the two races lived side by side. The Cherokee during the daylight hours and the moon-eyed people at night. But soon a rivalry developed and the Cherokee one night waited for a full moon to end the moon-eyed people's residency in the Blue Ridge. When the full moon rose, the Cherokee struck. They drove the moon-eyed people from their caves and huts. Those who weren't killed headed west, never to be seen again. So now for the theories of who these moon-eyed people were, if they ever really existed at all. The first theory comes from the old legend of the Welsh Indians. The story of Prince Madoc Owain Gwynedd gained popularity in the 1500s under the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Because if this story of Madoc were true, it would give dibs to North America to England. The legend goes like this. Prince Maddock was one of 19 children of the Welsh King of Gwynedd. When he died in 1169, it caused a huge upheaval. His children, legitimate and illegitimate alike, began warring over their father's crown. Having heard the tale of the Viking explorer Leif Erikson reaching a new land filled with wonder and natural resources aplenty, Maddock and one of his brothers, Ryard, sailed to explore the western seas in 1170 in two ships. They landed in what was presumed to be modern-day Mobile, Alabama, and sailed up a river to explore and set up new settlements. They met with both friendly and hostile natives alike. Maddock returned to Wales in 1171 to recruit more Welsh to return with him to this new world. He recruited around 120 men, women, and children to return with him, but they were never heard from again. Then, after the Colombian discovery, and more and more Europeans arrived, especially the British, they claimed to find evidence of these Welsh princes' presence ranging from the southeast Appalachians to even further west Ohio. River fortifications are mentioned, but the closest thing I could find to that were the Indian mounds that range from the Mississippi River Valley up to Ohio and other parts east of the Mississippi River. Okay, for more information on Native American mound culture, look for episode 31, 
Native American burials. And that will give y'all more information about said mound culture. What else can I say about this? Um, As I mentioned in the mound episode, um, the Indian mounds that the Mississippi cultures built were like those of the British. They built berms and hill forts. But this doesn't mean that the Welsh taught the Indians how to do this. It just means that humans knew it was wise to take the high ground. In 1799, the governor of Tennessee claimed that he had found the burial of six Welshmen wearing brass armor. Well, okay then, where's the armor now? If you really did uncover these at this point, would have been, what, six or seven hundred years old by this time? There wouldn't have been much left, other, I mean, other than, than the armor. And then, in the early 1600s, an advanced party looking to set up a colony in Virginia, they were captured by a tribe, and all of the English were going to be put to death until one of the explorers began speaking in his native Welsh. This caught the attention of some of the tribe, and their Native American language was so close to the Welsh that the two parties were able to communicate, and the Englishmen's lives were spared. In the early 1800s, painter George Catlin, who famously painted Osceola, if you'll remember back to the Osceola episode, lived with a tribe called the Mandans, who lived along the Mississippi River. Their villages seemed more like cities because they were laid out in a grid pattern with an open square in the middle. They would also respond to anyone who spoke Welsh to them. Some of the Indians were fairer than many of the others, some having light-colored eyes. Like so many other Native Americans, the Mandans were nearly wiped out in the 1830s due to a smallpox epidemic. But it's thought that it was from this tribe that the term Welsh Indians was coined. Thomas Jefferson even liked to bring up this topic, which is probably just further proof of the Anglo-centric bias meaning that there is no way that Native Americans could have produced things that they did without the influence of white people. But even if the Welsh did arrive in the New World in the 1200s, that doesn't explain the moon-eyed people to me. So, on to the next theory. This one comes from South America. A native Panamanian and Colombian tribe known as the Kuna or Guna, they have some of the highest rates of albinism in the world. Worldwide cases average about 1 in 20,000 who are born with a genetic condition that causes one to be born with little to no melanin in their skin or hair. And oftentimes their eyes can be startlingly pale or even pink and it makes them incredibly light sensitive, just like our moon-eyed people. But in these small villages in South and Central America, the chances of being born with albinism climbs to one in every 145 to 150 births. In current times, and during pre-Columbian times, these kids were revered. In fact, they had the special job during a lunar eclipse 
Just as the moon was disappearing, the young Guna would shoot an arrow at the moon to keep a dragon-like creature from devouring it. Then, when the Spanish came, these kids were heavily persecuted and nearly wiped out. It wasn't until the 20th century these thoughts have been slowly reversed and the children born with albinism into these communities are once again protected from violence. They're protected from violence, y'all, but not the tropical sun. They have some of the highest fatalities for melanoma in the world. So what if a thousand years ago, these Kuna people did a reverse migration and instead of going further south, they came north, trying to find a more agreeable climate. What if they did make it up to the Blue Ridge Mountains, where many times the mountains can block out the sun for much of the day, where they could be safe from the harmful rays of the sun? To me, if the Moon-Eyed people have an origin story, this would be the most likely to believe. It just makes more sense. Side notes. So in North Georgia, there's a mountain called Fort Mountain, which we went to a few years ago on a family vacation. Apparently it's called Fort Mountain because at one time there was dry stone stacked walls that at one time might have resembled the walls of an old fort. They have since been scattered and you can kind of still see the line perhaps wall used to be. Some say that this is further proof of the Welsh influence on Native Americans, but, and I do mean but, there have never been any ancient Anglo artifacts found near this old human-built formation, same as all the other mound forts. Europeans at the time were working with iron, and in the 11 and 1200s, Native Americans were still working in stone shell, bone, and other natural materials. Now for our Kuna friends, the theory that I feel like is the one that I, with some actual footing, a sandstone sculpture was found in the late 1840s that is thought to maybe depict the Moon-Eyed people, but it wasn't placed on display until 2015 and can be seen at the Cherokee County Historical Museum in North Carolina. I'll post a pic of the sculpture of the Kuna albinos, and let's see if you think that this sculpture could be a depiction of these early people. You'll have to let me know what you think, y'all. Now for our oldest buildings by state, brought to us by the Discoverer blog. Up next, we got Kentucky, the land of Lincoln's birth, and where Daniel Boone proved that the Cumberland Gap was a useful passage through the mountains for westward expansion. Y'all know Daniel Boone probably needs his own episode someday. We have two houses. Both were built between 1790 and 1792. One belonging to the 12th president of Zachary Taylor. And this home is located in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. And just a mile down the road is a home place called Locust Grove which was the home to sister of Revolutionary War hero George Rogers Clark and famed explorer William Clark of Lewis and Clark fame. Both places are now parks and open to the public if you would like to visit. 
And next on our list is Louisiana, home to the Foo Follet, the Rougarou, and all things otherworldly. And what's the oldest building in Louisiana? It is the Lafitte Blacksmith Shop and Bar. And y'all, at this point, have I done so many of these, I can like call myself a reference. <laughs> Because if you remember back, we did another episode, this one being about, um, I think it was titled Jean Lafitte, The Pirate King. And um, it's mentioned in there how Jean's brother, I think it was Pierre, used the blacksmith shop as a front where they were basically um, fencing stolen, stolen property out the back kind of deal. But anyway, so back to the blacksmith shop. It was built somewhere between 1722 and 1732. The Lafitte brothers set up shop there in 1773. The bar has survived two great fires, numerous hurricanes, including Katrina, not to mention the War of 1812 and the Civil War. So whenever in New Orleans, make sure you get your beignets and your cafe au lait at the Cafe du Monde. And then later, head on over to the blacksmith shop and soak up that 300-year-old atmosphere and whatever they happen to have on tap. Thank y'all so much for joining us for another episode of Lore of the South. And I have to give a shout-out to one of our newest listeners. It's our niece, Ryan Cruz. She also just had a birthday, so happy belated birthday, Ryan. And for y'all who are really enjoying the podcast, if y'all could please do us a big favor and leave a five-star review and a few kind words wherever you can, it would be greatly appreciated. And if you do, I'll be sure to read it out loud on the show. Also, make sure you join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and then just the audio version of the show plays on YouTube. Though, eventually, we would like to get into doing more videos like actual videos of like some of the places we visit and that sort of thing and almost like having like a travel vlog but more history oriented kind of thing or spook slash spooky history and spooky so hang around for those future updates if you'd like to get in touch you can email us the show at lorethesouth at gmail.com Make sure you check out our Patreon. You can search for it at The Lore of the South. When you go to patreon.com, just search The Lore of the South. Um, you'll get exclusive and commercial-free content there. And if you enjoyed hearing from producer Mike, he chimes in on nearly every bonus episode, which you will get at least one extra episode a month over there on Patreon. And with that, thank y'all for joining us for another episode, and we'll talk to y'all later on Lore of the South. Stay tuned for a preview of our latest Patreon episode. He felt he was part of a master race, and he was scared that the kid couldn't live up to I don't know if being I, like daddy. Don't know if I can follow that one, but yeah, I mean, I I know he he was kind of a jerk and all of that, but I <laughs> I can't. You don't think he killed yeah, his own I, kid? I don't. So. I mean, but they did I, some weird stuff. So, I mean, like, so the, and then the other thing, the only other evidence they found, and I think this was after, no, they hadn't even found the baby yet, but they found the babies. What did they call them? Thumb? 
They were thumb guards. They were basically thumb to keep guards. him from so sucking his thumb. These yeah. were, were these metal wiry splints that they attached to both of the baby's thumbs and then would chain their arms to the sides of their cribs or bassinets so that they could move their arms around but not reach their faces so that it would break them of thumb sucking. Well, one of the baby's thumb guards was found out in the driveway, crushed. So it had probably been there the whole time after they had kidnapped the baby and run over by all the different comings and goings of media and law enforcement and the family. And, but it was almost, it was pretty much just ignored because it didn't follow what the scenario was that was on the opposite side of the house. Right. It was the opposite direction of where they went. Yeah, or where they think they went. Which is odd, but I mean, it, I think during any of that time, you know, they didn't find that till so much later. It wasn't like it was found during the investigation, but that was found afterwards. So, I mean, it could have been dropped by an investigator who had picked it up. You know, th- those kinds of things to me would make more sense than if it was a clue to the mystery you know I th- it's that 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 particular thing sounds more like an accident to me if you loved what you heard check out the patreon page for exclusive content by searching for the lore of the south on patreon.com